podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the AI Premier League Preview Show. The evening after arguably the greatest derby goal in Liverpool's illustrious history. Uh, joining me tonight as I struggle not to break out into laughter at any moment, I'm delighted to welcome back uh, lifelong Bournemouth fan Michael Dunn, an AI contributor and uh, kind stand-in as host on this pod a few weeks back, Tariwa Chanakira. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me back on. No, great. Yeah, yeah thanks so much a couple of weeks ago, Tariwa. Uh, I really appreciate that you... Uh, you stepping in, um, and uh, yeah, Mike. Great to speak with you again. Um, obviously, great to have you on. Speaking about Bournemouth um, has always been an interesting project ever since Eddie Howe brought you guys up, of course, and continues to be a very interesting um, sort of topic for discussion. How you guys are doing, and, and to dive straight into um, speaking about you guys. Then, I mean, before we get onto this season itself, what I want to ask you was to cast your mind back to, to last season now and, and thinking about how it how it ended um, and how, I, I guess, to a lot of fans in the league, I mean, um, at times there are doubts, or, or I think there were doubts last season as to whether or not Eddie Howe was going to be able to keep you up or whatever. Um, but then he, you, you guys maintain this remarkable consistency um, and in the end make it look you know, comfortable and make anybody who doubted you seem like fools. Um, I mean, how, how did you feel last season went um, when you did end it and uh, what do you make of this sort of consistency that um, Eddie Howe's managing to um, to bring to you guys? Um, well last season we finished 12th um, which was the first time in about five years that we hadn't recorded our highest ever league finish but it can't be seen as a disappointment for a club like us to finish 12th. We've never really had a proper relegation scrap since we've been in the Premier League We've always been safe with about four or five games to go. It's never come down to the wire. And it was a similar story last season. The season fizzled out a little bit towards the end, although we did win our last two games against Swansea and Burnley. Um, but then we had a few dodgy results prior to that, particularly the defeat away at Southampton, who we never seemed to be able to beat, no matter what you know dire straits they're in. Um, obviously, they sat in their managers today, but even this season, <laughs> uh, we 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 drew at home with them. But I'll try and try and put my bitterness relating to the results against them to one side. Um, yeah, and uh, it was it was you know a decent season overall. I think just the fact that we've been on an upward trajectory for about five years under Eddie since he came back from Burnley, uh, I think almost unreasonably expectations rise, and, and you you kind of get used to making records and and breaking records and and so there's a slight kind of oh, oh we found we only we only finished 12th this season which you know is something we would have died for a few seasons ago we wouldn't even dreamt of being in the premier league so it can't be seen as anything but a success i think any time that uh eddie keeps us up um in terms of consistency i mean he's the the consistent strand that runs through the entire thing and you look at other clubs and the managerial merry-go-round. And, you know, he's the longest-serving manager in the Premier League now, which is ridiculous, really, because he's, he's 41. He just turned 41, and he's, he's only been served uh, Bournemouth manager. This is his second spell for, like I said, about, about five years. But um, how many clubs uh, have managers for that long anymore? And we saw Hughes go today, eight months. They've had a merry-go-round there. 
other clubs have struggled. Obviously, your guy's been in for a while and he's doing a good job. But you know, even even play, even managers of his of his stature don't tend to last that long at a club. And I think the stability at Bournemouth is the key thing. And as I've said, probably on this show and certainly many times in the past, once he goes, which at some point he will then I'm afraid <laughs> the whole thing could crumble. Hope that won't happen. Hopefully he'll stay, stick around for a long time. I don't see him going anywhere else at the moment, but you know, like some of our better players as well, he is coveted by, by bigger clubs. So um, some will, we'll wait and see, but yeah, I mean, good times overall last season and, and, and we've started this season well, despite recent, recent troubles. Yeah. The future of Eddie Howe, I think it's something that's, certainly intrigued many people just because of course I mean I think the work he's done with you guys there's no doubt he's held in such high regard um, and I, I think people probably do wonder when he will try and take that next step but of course you guys aren't wondering about that for the time being you're just um, enjoying the stability that he's bringing you as you mentioned it there um, and it's interesting to hear you touch upon a little bit I mean uh, you talked about you know, a few seasons back, you, you would have looked at a 12th pace finish in the Premier League and sort of bitten your hand off for it. Um, but now you know, the fact that he is you managed to bring this consistency to you guys, uh, bring these uh, um, fairly comfortable finishes in the Premier League, you do wonder what the expectations are I mean, and just how far he can take you in terms of development, really. So um, I want to move on to this season and um, what your thoughts were on the start of the season. Of course, you're currently ninth in the league. Um, won six out of the opening 10 games you had in the league, of course. There's been some struggles of late, but we'll come on to talk about that. And it's really, you look at the fixture list, and it's not exactly been a kind run to you in terms of who you've, who you, who you've come up against in that run. And uh, we'll certainly focus on the performances there. But what have your thoughts been on the start to the season? It's, it's been a fairly strong showing uh, for, you, uh, for you guys this time round. I, I, I know last season there were, few struggles uh, uh, kicking off the campaign yeah this is the best start we've had to a Premier League season we've got 20 points which we didn't even have at Christmas last season I think a little recently we had 16 at Christmas last year obviously we could have more than 20 by the time Christmas comes around this year um, yeah we started really well uh, with the exception of defeats away at Burnley and recently Newcastle we, we've recorded either wins or draws with all the teams that you know you sort of are the best of the rest below the bottom six. Um, and, and obviously, as you said, six wins out of the first ten has made us safe even now after losing a few games in a row. Um, the next step for Bournemouth is, I guess, the, the thing people think about the most, the fans here think about, is a cup, possibly even just a cup final, because we've never done anything like that. So that would be seen as a you know a massive achievement for us. Um, Beating Southampton. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't want to go too far. We just can't seem to do it. It's probably best not to talk about that. Yeah, that's um, right. I, won't, I, won't, I won't dwell on that, sorry. <laughs> that's right. Um, you're still enjoying yesterday's uh, hilarious result. And um, <laughs> the um, well, the other thing would be, you know, a place in Europe, kind of what Burnley did last season. Um, and all those things are achievable with, you know, a decent run of results under your belt at the start of the season because it kind of gives you a platform to build on and then we've got to play we've had a, a tough run of fixtures recently and we've got a few more coming up but you know in the new year and, and, and the second half of the season we'll be playing a lot of the, the teams below us again obviously and it's opportunity it's not guaranteed I know but opportunity to pick up more points and perhaps you know record another highest ever finish and our highest ever finish has been ninth 
So once you're sort of getting up to seventh, eighth, you can start thinking about possibly getting a European place. The only thing that worries me about that is, and I would be delighted if we achieved it, is you look at Burnley this season, other teams that have sort of snuck in in seventh place, is that you know, the season seems to start in July, and by the time everybody else is still coming back from their holidays, you're well into it, but it, it's kind of taxing on the on the squad and all that. So in a way, be careful what you wish for, but I think that you know for us that would be a massive achievement to, 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 to have European football. And obviously if we won a cup, we, we'd get European football anyway. So yeah, but those are, those are big steps to take. And it's almost, I've said, you know, to people in the past, there's a ceiling for Bournemouth, but it's almost like we're sometimes already, we've already broken through that ceiling, but I think there is, there is a limit to how high we can go. And I think we're almost at that limit. Uh, you know, hopefully it'll go on and, and, and we'll establish ourselves further as a Premier League team and, and and maybe even one day build a new stadium, although that doesn't seem to be anywhere near in the pipeline at the moment. But um, but I think this is so um, it's so much altitude we seem to exist at the moment, and it's it's important to remember that uh, even when even when we are doing really well, that that this is for us the golden age. You know, long may it last, and because when it when it ends, and it may well end one day. And then we'll be looking back on it and thinking, you know, we were we were doing so well, and perhaps we didn't appreciate it enough at the time. Yeah, and, and of course, I, th- I think you just hope, of course, that, that the foundations that are being left at the club, and you imagine Eddie Howe is going to is going to be working on that, of course, in terms of trying to put things in place for when he does feel like he's going to be uh, ready to move on. Uh, as you mentioned, anyway, I mean, p- pursuing your highest ever finish in the Premier League this season, you've already given yourselves a great. Um, great foundation to build on with the start you've made to the season. Um, some some really good performances in there, of course, and uh, also interesting to hear what you t- hear what you said there about the cautionary tale a little bit of, um, of you know, going for Europe, and then you can see what's happened to Burnley this season, and they don't look anywhere near the same team. But I re- I really don't think you can allow that to you know put you off going for it and i'm i'm sure it's not deterring Eddie Howe or any of the players but um i just want to ask you what um of these opening games that we've seen this season i mean what would you say the standout performance has been has it been um has it even been in one of the games where you perhaps didn't win where you thought the performance was was excellent or or, or was it just a uh, um one of those opening six wins i think the away wins are always the ones to stick out i think Watford we won 4-0 away um, Watford and Bournemouth are two reasonably matched teams, reasonably evenly matched. Um, the league table shows that. Um, and we just went there and completely bossed the game. We were 3 0 up at half time. Um, obviously, we won 4 0. They were never in it. And we've had a bit of a rivalry with them going back to the, when we were both in the hunt for the championship and we picked them to the title on the last day. So that was quite nice. As well, but yeah, was that, that was a, that was an excellent performance. Um, in games that we've lost, well, Manchester United, we played brilliant in the first half, and we should have scored more than one goal. And um, I think we probably would have won the game if we'd have gone two up, but we let them back in it, and then they scored a late winner, unfortunately. And we played well against Arsenal uh, recently, uh, throughout the game really, but again, we lost. Um, so in these games we've had recently, United. Arsenal, City, we had at the weekend, with the exception of Newcastle, where we didn't play well. We, we've performed really well, uh, and we've looked more, even though we've beaten United and Arsenal in recent seasons, but we looked more 
um, confident. Uh, uh, it wasn't even in those victories. It was kind of that FA Cup thing where the little team beats the big team, and you're defending for ages and just hanging on. And even though we lost, our, our general play, we were more in the games, and we looked like we were more their equal. Um, and well, with City, we're not their equal by any stretch of the imagination. But I've been up there two out of the four times we've played them um, since we've been in the Premier League. And both times I went, we got absolutely thrashed and we were just like running scared for the entire game. And that wasn't the case at the weekend. So, I mean, overall our performances have been better. Um, and certainly um, in some of the away games that we've won, Fulham away, which was kind of, I wouldn't say it was easy, but the manager was just about to be sacked. The morale was low. West Ham away at the start of the season was a good win. Um so they've all been been fantastic because we we would have lost some of those games two or three seasons ago, and even after Fulham game or maybe it was on match of the day, I think the commentator said it looked like Premier League men against Premier League boys, and I never thought I'd hear hear anybody describe Bournemouth as Premier League men. Uh, so yeah, it's been um it's been it's been there's been a lot of good performances, and we've got Huddersfield tomorrow night, and that's the kind of game that we really need to win if we want to maintain our maintain our good start of the season, especially with. Uh, with your boys coming up at the weekend because you're flying so high. Yeah, Huddersfield, of course, I think uh, they've been in good form of late, haven't they? Although I think I actually gave them sort of the uh, sort of some sort of commentator's curse on the weekend when I was saying that they were doing so well and they ended up sort of drawing, I think it was. But um want uh, to move on to sort of the, the, the summer signings that you made and just whether any of those have um, have stood out in particular. Um, the, the most high-profile one being that defensive midfielder you brought in as it, Jefferson Lerma, I think, from Levante, uh, for about thirty million, which is a fairly fairly big fee for Bournemouth, of course. Um, of the summer signings that you made, I mean, was there an obvious um, sort of area of weakness that, that prior to the season that you were looking at, thinking that probably should be addressed? I know um, Eddie Howe's always been quite considered in who he does bring in. Um, how have those signings settled, and do you think there's uh, do you think they've addressed the areas of weakness in the side, or or is there something still sort of glaring that needs to be uh, looked at? Um, yeah, last summer, I think if you'd have asked most Bournemouth fans, they'd have said we needed to strengthen central midfield and at, uh, at fullback. So he signed Lerma for £25 million, I believe it was, which was our record fee. Um, and he's been excellent. Uh, he's come into the team and he's been a kind of upgrade on Harry Arter, who was brilliant for us but fell out of the squad last season. I think possibly fell out of the manager or something happened behind the scenes because he was, he was in the team one week and then the following week he wasn't even in the match day squad and he wasn't really seen again after that. Um, he's at Cardiff now on loan. Um, and Lerma's come in for him and he's, he's um, very hardworking. He's quite an aggressive player. He missed the game against City at the weekend because he was already on five bookings. Um, he's good in the air and um, he's made one or two mistakes, but overall he's, I think he's been an excellent signing. Um, and then we did sign a defender as well at left back, Diego Rico, 10 million, uh, Spanish defender, but he's barely been seen really. Um, he played in that game I mentioned at Burnley when we lost 4 0. He played in the first half, Eddie took him off at half time, um, and he's not really made a first team appearance since, a, well, not in the Premier League. He's played in, played in the Carabao Cup. Um, and he hasn't really looked that good. Whereas, you know, it's one of those where you look at them pre season, you think, ah, oh, this guy looks great, you know, but, he hasn't really looked like I think. Don't think he's really settled in that well yet. Um, and so our, our our stalwart left back Charlie Daniels, who's been with us for about seven years, is still still got the shirt and uh, is playing quite well. Um, on the other side, 
we've got Simon Francis, our right back and captain, who has come in for quite a lot of criticism over the past 18 months or so from the fans. He looks uh, to be slowing down a bit and um, he makes he makes mistakes. And I'm probably more positive towards him than, than, than quite a lot of the Bournemouth fans. I think, I think he's... Um, He's a good influence on the team. He's good in the air. Um, he's a good leader. Uh, but then I don't think there's any doubt that his, his pace can be exposed. And I mean, a lot of people would be exposed against Leroy Sane, but it was <laughs> kind of laughable at the weekend, the amount of times that Sane was able to sort of spring the offside trap and get past him. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be an area that if you ask him, it's still the Bournemouth fans where they'd like to strengthen, it would be there um, at, at left and right back. Um, and our other summer signing was David Brooks. Uh, from Sheffield United, who uh, looked like one of these that Eddie brings in, a bit like Lewis Cook, who is now in the team, but spent the first season that he was here just in the squad, didn't make that many appearances, and he seemed to be kind of being trained up by Eddie to become a full member of the first team. But Brooks came along. Uh, walked straight into the first team, taking Jordan Ives' place, um, who we've talked about before, and he's done really well. He's skillful, um, he's quick, and he scores goals. Uh, and he's kind of stood out as well as Lerma. Um, so I think the summer business has, I mean, with Rico being the exception, um, we'll have to see how that one goes, has has been excellent, and, and that's definitely boosted the team. The only thing I'm worried about now is um, other Clubs are going to start circling for some of our players, which uh, is always, which isn't really something we've had to deal with yet. Not just those uh, two that I mentioned, but other players that are established in the team like Nathan Ake and Callum Wilson. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a requirement to strengthen all over. I guess as time goes on, if we if if we stay at the level that we're at. But um, yeah, so far he's uh, and he's been criticised for his signings in, in in the past. Um, but if you look at the team, most of the most of the players in the team now are his signings and, and they've all done really well. Yeah, you mentioned there some of the players who are obviously receiving sort of um, quite a lot of attention in recent weeks, um, especially since, since the start of the season, of course. Callum Wilson um, getting his first uh, call-up for England against uh, against the USA, um, uh, scoring his first goal, of course, as well. Lots of attention on him and sort of the, the work that he's done to to be where he is this season. I mean, just how uh, how impressed have you been with him? I mean, it, it's it's um, I guess sort of somewhat bittersweet in 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 the fact that you think that if he is going to be doing well and continue this form into the last half of the season, is that going to lead to people trying to come in and and, and buy him or or lead him to sort of looking elsewhere? But I mean, how integral has he been to this good start? Obviously, eight goals, four assists so far. Yeah, he's been he's been excellent. I mean, the, the impressive, the most impressive thing about him is the fact that he's come back from so much adversity. He did both his ACLs in the space of about eighteen months, so he was out of the game for a long time. And he tried to come back the first time, and he didn't look the player that he was before. It was mid-season, and then he didn't really get a chance to have a, a decent pre-season and, and get back into the team because he did his ACL again in training on his other knee. So both knees, you know, that's a serious injury as, as everyone knows. And uh, so he did his rehab again, got back in the team last season, didn't look the player that he was before that we hoped he'd be. And, you know, the talk is, oh, he's lost a bit of pace and which is inevitable considering the injuries that he had. But 
he was always very much, you know, I'm, I'm recording good numbers in, in training, all the stats are looking good and, and all this kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, he scored against Burnley at the end of last season. It was practically the last kick of the season uh, to win us the game. And I think, I mean, it's only a little thing, but it was just a positive way to go into the summer. Uh, obviously got the pre-season under his belt and he's he's come roaring back this season. Um, and him and Josh King are a, a really decent uh, forward pairing. Uh, they've both got goals in them. Uh, they're both quick, strong, um, do a lot of work. And uh, yeah, Callum's just, just great to see him doing so well. He scores different types of goals as well. Um, he scored the header against City, which is probably the weakest area of his game, game uh, in terms of goal scoring is, is, is heading. Although you wouldn't have known it if you'd have seen that one. Um, he does miss chances, which has frustrated the fans a bit, but you can't really quibble over, like you said, eight goals and four assists. And, you know, even when he doesn't score, he holds the ball up well and, and it really is a, a kind of team player. So, yeah, seeing him play for England was was like, brilliant for us. You know, this is something we get to enjoy when you're a, a fan of a small team like Bournemouth. We've only had one other England appearance, which was when Lewis Cook came as a substitute last season. So Callum played, we didn't play the whole game, but almost the whole game. He scored the goal. No one's ever scored a goal for us for England before. Obviously, as you mentioned, your thoughts immediately turn to, you know, who's going to be sniffing around? Because he's 26, he's doing well in the Premier League. We should put in a bid. And I wouldn't be surprised if if we lost him because it's just the opportunity for him, depending how big it is, would would be very tempting. He probably wouldn't have a better opportunity in his career and a, a better time than now. So... We'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, at the moment, as I said, you know, fantastic and, and he's doing really well. Yeah, certainly strikes me as a player who sort of puts in a, a huge amount of effort. And actually, I mean, I, 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 did, I didn't realise it was both ACLs because I think the way in which you see him moving now, you, I mean, you, you, I guess you really have to credit it to the work that he's put in to get himself back to where he is. Um, because yeah, there, there's, there's so many examples of players who've, who've had those injuries who, as you say, they lose a bit of pace, but they, they really don't seem to trust themselves, trust their bodies again. Um, and yeah, I guess it's just testament to the sort of guy he is to be putting in that, uh, the work and, and, and coming back and enjoying sort of the strongest, um, season he's had so far. So yeah, certainly, uh, certainly been a key player for you. And, um, he'd be one to, he'd be one to watch, of course. Um, just on uh, going back to expectations then, I mean, just before we get to sort of, what you expect from Eddie Howe this weekend. I mean, I know you've got that midweek game as well, but um, expectations this season, you mentioned as well. I mean, it's it's um, often easy for fans to have a look at it and go, well, we because we have been comfortable in the league for so long, um, since, since coming up now, um, sh- should we expect a little bit more? I mean, w- what do you think Eddie Howe's own expectations are? Is it, very, is it a case of him keeping everybody grounded and just... Focusing on, of course, securing that safety, but then um, you know trying to push for that highest um, uh, highest place finish. Or is there something a bit more subtle in terms of is he trying to um, develop the way in which you play? Have you noticed any changes since you you guys first arrived in the Premier League? Of course, and, and has that been a key focus for him? Yeah, we have changed our style of play this season. Um, we previously were very much um, on the front foot. Um, all out attack, uh, and we look at the, the goals conceded over the past few seasons. We've had, you know, probably in the top two or three in in the Premier League each season because we've tend to put a priority on going forward 
Um, this season, it's definitely noticeable that there is um, a change into more of a counter-attacking team. Um, and that has reaped rewards because we've been a little bit more watertight at the back and um, well, the results have been good up until, up until recently. Um, so I'd expect to see a bit more of that at the weekend. In terms of what we can achieve this season, I mean, Eddie is, um, despite his demeanour, he's, he's a very competitive man. Um, and he's always, uh, in his interviews post-game, and his, his, um, his whole mood, it seems very... Uh, he's, he, he puts himself across well, but you can, I think, if I watch him a lot, you can tell how frustrated he is when we lose the game, no matter who it's against. Um, I don't think I think he's realistic. I don't think he expects to be top of the league, but he doesn't see in his head, in his mind, any barrier that should stop us from beating anybody that we play at any time, um, which is you know one of the ingredients for his success because it isn't a uh, an ambition based on arrogance. It's an ambition based on uh, belief and, and 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 hard work and tactical acumen. He's kind of like the whole package really, um, and so. He would be thinking that in any game that he goes into, he can win it. So, I mean, he's not naive enough to go up to Manchester City at the weekend and think that we should win it, but he'll put a team out that's trying to win the game, although perhaps not quite as naively optimistic as we were perhaps in the first two or three seasons in the Premier League. Um, We're playing you at home this weekend, at home, I would expect to see a bit more of an attacking formation than we saw at City um, when he played five across the midfield. Uh, so he may do that again, uh, but at home I'd, I'd expect him to play King and Wilson up front together and go probably 4-4-2, um, although he has gone with three at the back a few times this season, depending on the personnel available, because we've lost... Adam Smith, who was kind of a utility defender and was also played in midfield. He got injured against West Ham and he's played at left and right back this season. In fact, he was keeping the aforementioned Charlie Daniels out of the team um, earlier in the season, but, but he did his his knee trying to take a free kick. It was completely innocuous against West Ham. He's out for three months. So not having him in the team limits the um, the options in terms of uh, wing backs and, and, and playing um, three at the back and and five across the midfield. Um, he had to bring Tyrone Mings in to play that against Manchester City, who's a good defender, although that's a judgment based on a handful of appearances in the three and a half years he's been with us, Tyrone Mings, because he, um, he's been injured a lot as well. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, uh, this weekend, I would expect 4-4-2. I'd expect us to be more cautious, perhaps, than in previous seasons um, against Liverpool. I remember you coming down last year around Christmas time, maybe certainly in the depths of winter and, and, and thrashing us. I think it was 4 0, something like that. And, and we didn't really have an answer to the way you played then. Um, I'd expect us to be a little bit more um, savvy this time out, uh, but probably more so than we did at the Etihad at the weekend. We'll probably be looking to, to, to go on the front foot and uh, fingers crossed it'll work. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it's, it's... It certainly has seemed in the past that actually sort of, despite sort of um, the admirable aspects of how Eddie Howe likes you guys to play, that it has at times played into our hands a little bit, just based on how we were playing. Although this season ourselves, we, we've we noticed a shift away from a, 
a purely, I guess, high intensity pressing style into one that's a bit more measured. Um, obviously, defensively, we've improved as well. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how we approach it, whether we just revert back to being a bit more, a bit more aggressive, uh, high pressing. Who, who knows? I mean, Taddy, before I bring you in to talk about, um, Liverpool and, um, of course, the, the endless hilarity of, of last night. Um, I mean, I, 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 I want to ask you just what your opinion is, um, on, on this consistency that we've seen from Bournemouth since they've come up here, you know, the, the importance of Eddie Howe there that, that Mike was sort of laboring in terms of just, just how much he's responsible for. Um, and of course, their start to the season being, you know, um, in such a, a strong position already. I mean, what do you make of them and what have you made of them over, over the past few seasons? Um, I think over the past few seasons, it's been one of the teams that you enjoy watching, especially maybe one of the, the newer teams coming, you know, in, into the Premier League fold. A lot of the teams tend to be a bit more pragmatic, a bit more defensive. Um, whereas Bournemouth seem to be keen to, to play football. And as has been mentioned against us, they're, they're always keen to take the game to us. Um, it's worked at times. Sometimes it hasn't, but. At least you know Bournemouth aren't really going to necessarily park eleven players, you know, behind the ball. They're going to try and impose their game um, on you guys as well, especially at home. So it's been good to to watch them um, grow and progress. And then I think also the the important thing with Bournemouth is they haven't overextended themselves. I think it's it's down to a, a lot of really smart signings. Um, there's some good, um, kids coming up from academy or the younger kids getting a chance. So you can see th that it's a club that seems to be run really, really well, both on and off the pitch. And then obviously a lot of credit goes to Eddie Howe and what, what he's been able to do with the club. Um, I think he is one of those managers where he might get that Brendan Rogers moment. Where, where he does get a call up to one of the bigger squads. Um, we saw with Brendan Rodgers towards the, you know, I, I, he was doing well. And then towards the end, I think he sort of maybe grew a bit too, too cocky or too confident, um, in, in that Liverpool job. But I think Eddie Howe seems to be quite a grounded person. And if, if, if any of the bigger clubs are willing to take a chance, especially on a young English manager, we're always crying out for, for young English managers to get a chance. I think, Eddie Howe is probably top of the list at the moment in terms of who, you know, who people would go for. But for, for Bournemouth, I think it, it's good that he, he stays there for now. I think obviously, as, as Mike has mentioned, it's likely that at some point in time, someone may come calling and whether he decides to go, I'm, I think Bournemouth fans would, would be understanding, uh, considering, you know, he, he hasn't rushed off to, let's say, like an, an Everton job or maybe a job that might not necessarily be the the bigger ones in the Premier League. He, he stuck it out with Bournemouth and I think he's done really, really well with, you know, with the environment that he's been placed in. Um, yeah, I, I hope he stays at Bournemouth for a little while longer. I think they're an exciting team, exciting um, club, both on and off the field, as I've said, and long may it continue, just maybe not on over the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think certainly. I mean, I mean, actually, it's a sort of a perverse question to to put you on the spot, Mike, because obviously you don't want to think about this sort of thing. But I'm just, I'm just interested, just, just generally. I mean, what, when it did come time for him to move on, I mean, what, 
where do Bournemouth fans sort of see him going? I mean, where would you I mean, do you think he, he the best move for him would be in in staying in the Premier League, or do you think that he would be tempted to do something a bit more interesting, like he's done, I guess, his entire career? I guess in terms of who he studied from, um, and and go abroad. I think the most um, popular option with Bournemouth fans when he leaves is to for him to become the England manager. Um, at the moment, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. England are doing well, Southgate's doing a good job, and so for once, it's not kind of a circus with the England team, and. Southgate's quite similar, I think, in Eddie Howe in terms of the measured personalities that they have and the way that they conduct themselves. Well, I don't know behind closed doors, but certainly with the media and with the players, it seems to be a kind of new style of management that's understated, uh, but certainly very successful. Um, so England's not really on the table at the moment. Um, in the Premier League, I think for Eddie it would have to be uh, a pretty big job, kind of Champions League level. Uh, which he probably, I would say, would not be offered because he hasn't any experience in Europe and a team like yourselves, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, United, etc., kind of demand a big-name manager who has a good track record at the very top of the game. Um, I guess Potocino came via Southampton um, and that was a slightly different route, but... I think in general, it would be hard for fans of the really big clubs to stomach an appointment of somebody like Eddie Howe, uh, unless they're absolutely desperate, which I don't think they are, um, which I think is a mistake. Uh, I think Eddie would do a good job if he was given a bit of time. You don't always get time in those jobs, as as Moyes found out at Man United. Um, so another thing is, he's very grounded in this area. Uh, his, his experience in Burnley, I think, scarred him a little bit. Um, he had some personal issues to deal with, particularly the death of his mother uh, a few years ago, which was quite sudden. And he, I think that he was already missing being at home. He's got a big family here. I think he's got two brothers and two sisters. Um, and, you know, when his mother passed away, that obviously he felt it a lot more acutely. And he, he wasn't long in, in coming back home after that. And I know his wife, his family are happy here. They're all from the area. Um, so it would have to be, I think particularly whilst their family are young. The kids are quite young. I think the oldest boy is about seven or eight. Um, it would have to be somewhere nearby-ish, which would mean London, I think, short of anywhere else. Um, and there aren't really that many teams in London that, that you would go to, like the ones I mentioned, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea. It would be a big risk, I think, from their point of view, uh, not from mine, for them to appoint Eddie Howe as their manager. So I don't see that happening. In terms of going abroad, it could happen. Um, he could he could be tempted abroad somewhere. It certainly would be a another string to his bow to manage in another country. He'd certainly, you know, pick up a lot of experience, and it might be a uh, a shorter cut into European football. Um, but to be honest, he, he seems so settled at Bournemouth, and everything is he's you know he's in a reasonably unique position. Um, I guess Wenger had it to a certain extent at Arsenal, though didn't end that well. Uh, Ferguson certainly had it when he was at United. He's, he's kind of got more say at the club, what goes on from top to bottom, than most managers do have. Um, and, and everything is very much, you know, in his court, as it were. Uh, he doesn't abuse that, um, but it's, it's all 
focused on him and he gets to make a lot of the big decisions and certainly has a say in a lot of the big decisions. And, and I don't, don't know how much he'd get of that if he, if he went to a bigger club. So, yeah, I think at the moment uh, it's hard to see him leaving, but, I mean, that could change. I remember it wasn't, we don't see him that long ago. Obviously, a lot of water has passed under the bridge since then that he, he came out one day. I remember it was in the, a bright day in January. He'd been linked with a few clubs, Crystal Palace and, and Charlton, and this was when we were down in, in the League One, I think, and they said um, he came out and he said, he said, no, we're staying, we're definitely not leaving. And about three days later, him and his assistant, Jason Tindall, packed up and went to Burnley. So you never know in football. But like I said, I don't, I don't see him going anywhere at the moment. No, of course. And it's, it's, it's a little bit wrong of me to put you on the spot, to be honest. But yeah, I, I, I've just always wondered where, what the perception of it was from sort of Bournemouth fans' perspective. I, I mean, there's something strange in my head that always sees him actually, almost sees him going to the Bundesliga at one time because it seems to be a good place for young managers to come up and have a go. But yeah, it, it, it will certainly be... So it'll only be interesting to see. Hopefully, it's far in the future. Of course, you'll be you'll be hoping. Uh, but anyway, Mike, thanks so much for all the insight there on Bournemouth. Um, fascinating as usual. Um, we'll bring you back in just just right before the end of the pod, just to talk a, a bit more specifically about the game itself. Talia, I'm bringing you in. I mean, you're in the privileged position here um, to be. Um, I mean, obviously, I was on, I was on the post match raw pod with Dave and. And Trev last night reveling in um, what was a fairly unique footballing moment. I think um, um, I'm so used to seeing sort of uh, vines or um, small clips of you know, comical goals online, um, and I-, I was thinking as I was watching that derby yesterday, um, this is the best Everton performance that I've seen in years at Anfield. You know, they came, they were calm, composed, stuck to their game plan. Um, you know, so much good work that I guess you know, you'd argue, and Silver would certainly argue, should have been rewarded with a point. Or yeah, I mean, they, they were hoping for more, but um, yeah, I, I don't think that was really ever on the cards. But it it ends in 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 that fashion, um, and you just feel like if anything's going to hammer home this curse <laughs> that they seem to be under, it's probably going to be that. I mean, what did you make of that game as a whole? Um, and then I guess sum up your feelings about that last uh, crazy, uh, was it nine added minutes in total by the end? <laughs> yeah, it, it seemed like it went on for, for quite a while. But to be fair, I think we have to also take into account that a few of the Everton players did go down. I know Idris, a guy, went down for, oh, um, yeah, yeah, sorry. He he went down for, I think, a good two, three minutes. And I actually was wondering, when he went down, is the ref really going to add this time on? Because sometimes you tend to see in added time when players go down, when substitutions happen, you never really get that full two minutes. Refs sort of give like one minute or something like that. So that was something that was frustrating me at that point in the game. But um, maybe going back a bit, looking at the game as a whole, I thought... Yeah, it's definitely one of the better, um, if not the the best Everton performance I've seen, especially at Anfield. I mean, this is a ground where they're coming in not necessarily done well. I think 1999 or something like that um, was the last time they, they won at, at Anfield. So, you know, going into the game already, you can just imagine what their players are going, you know, going through on the mental side of the game. Um but maybe it helped that the derby has sort of moved away from what it was familiar for, you know, that old um, old style of en- English 
very physical type of games. It's become a lot more technical, especially when Roberto Martinez came in. That's when we saw, you know, both sides sort of started to move away from that old gritty hard tackles type of game, more technical passing game. Um, you know, when Sam Allardyce came in, obviously he had his tactics and he's known for the type of tactics that he has. And then Marcus Silva comes in, who is some, you know, similar to an Eddie Howe in that he, he knows how he wants to play his football and he's not ashamed to play his football that way. He wants his players to express themselves on the pitch. And we could see it yesterday. I thought Everton really did perform well. And hopefully, you know, um, I've never had, you know, a grudge against Everton. I've, as long as they're one position behind Liverpool, I really don't care what happens at Everton. It, it just seems like that to me. Um, if Everton make the Champions League and, you know, let's say Liverpool come third and Everton come fourth, I don't mind that because I think that's just, it, it works out for the city of Liverpool because that's more revenue coming in with Champions League games and that type of thing. I just, as long as they don't finish above us, Everton can go and do whatever they want to do. So it's always good to have two competitive teams in a city. So if Everton continue, you know, this season in the way that, especially in the performance that they showed against Liverpool, I think they should be fine this season to to hopefully try and push, obviously, top half and then maybe try and see what they can do after that. Um, in terms of individual performances, the likes of the Allisons, he had a big game, you know, making big saves at crucial times. We've seen that over the season. Uh, Fabinho got mentioned, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to move on to him later on in this conversation. Uh, and then obviously the man of the moment, Divock Origi, who hasn't featured much this season, but even when he came on, he had a, quite a good run where the ball got put, you know, wide right. He, he took a touch and basically just burned past, I think it was Mina that was, that was trying to keep up with him. And, and that was lovely to see that, you know, he could have easily taken a touch, played it backwards. But he had the confidence to take the the defender on, and to have that confidence, having not played that much this season, you know, in first team football, that that was really nice to see. Um, and with regards to the goal, look, even Van Dyke, who's the one that took the shot, he sort of turned around in disgust, and everyone, you know, the Everton defenders, they also turned around. They were getting ready, you know, to celebrate a, a, a hard fought draw. Yeah. Um, but one person credit- didn't turn around. One person did not turn around. He clawed that ball back into play for us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like he almost um, willed it back into play because he was right on Pickford, you know. And and the thing is, if if Origi doesn't pressure Pickford in that way, maybe Pickford doesn't, you know, try and claw. I, I don't know what Pickford was doing, but you know what I mean. It's just that little pressure that he had in that split second maybe made Pickford make a decision that he wouldn't normally make. So, you 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 know, it's one of those things where they say you make your own luck. And to be in that position at that time, 96 minutes, he had no right to be trying to get anything, you know, any piece, um, any crumbs from any possible situation there. And then, obviously, he puts the ball in and oh, it was just a hilarious moment. It, you know, people talk about, you know, and... My girlfriend's a Spurs fan, so I have to be careful when I say this. But um, people talk about Spurs having Spurs moments and Spursing a game up or Spursing a, a, a title run or a cup run up. Um, it just felt like one of those moments for Everton in the sense of 
you know, they've done so well through 90 minutes and then they just had to have an Everton moment. So I, I, I did have a chuckle about that. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you what your personal reaction was to it, but I, I mean, I mean, when I was watching it as well, I was just thinking to myself, um, you know, ordinarily you wouldn't think this, and I was, I was, I was wondering whether it was, you know, they're so composed in, in their performance that maybe it was finally going to be, you know, a well-earned draw, of course, but um, there does seem to be um, a way in which they snatch defeat from the jaws of either a draw or a win. It's, um, or let's face it, the wins have been. Um, you know, Hard to come by over recent years, but yeah, I I I just think with the with the late Mane goal, with the late Van Dyke goal, now with this goal, I remember at the start of the game, commentators talking about how this was a young, you know, fresh Everton side without the scars of previous Derby Day defeats, um, <laughs> and I'm I'm not sure you can get a worse uh, a worse mental scar than that because it's so absurd, it's unbelievable. I, I think I made some sort of weird dinosaur. Uh, esque noise when the goal went in. So, apologies to everybody who was around me when I was watching the game. But yeah, I mean, what what was your what was your immediate reaction just before we move on? Um, it was more shock than anything. I, for some reason, I thought surely he's offside, or, or some, it just didn't seem right that 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 it went in. And then obviously, you know, he you know the he he uh, looks at the 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 linesman linesman obviously gives the nod that um that it's a goal and then it's just euphoria in that moment um and then you just start jumping up and down screaming i was running around screaming it it was it was quite a hilarious moment and then out the corner of your eye you see Jurgen Klopp also running onto the pitch cuz i don't know if it was the same um broadcast for for everyone but the one I was watching, it was, you know, they showed a little bit of Origi, you know, running to celebrate and then straight away pan to Jurgen Klopp and he's run, run onto the pitch. Um, and he sort of meets Allison halfway, halfway up the pitch and he's celebrating. And it, it was just a really, really good moment and a feel good moment. And for me, it's one of those moments where if you're trying to go for a league title, you have to have these type of moments during a season. You think of the Makeda moments for Man United where, you know, they're dead and buried in a game and then all of a sudden a player that hasn't even featured for them gets thrown on and he goes and scores a winner. It's that type of situation where Origi, he hasn't featured as much, but he comes on and somehow, you know, gets the goal. Um, these are the things that you look back on at the end of the season, especially if it becomes a successful season. No, yeah, of course it's... Remarkable moment. I think plenty of people sort of comparing it to uh, a Manchester United sort of Makeda moment. Obviously, that was the Sterling uh, celebration and then red card last season, which is fairly absurd as well. Um, all right, then to move on from that, I mean, because because we really could talk about it for I guess the entire podcast. But um, Fabinho, as you mentioned, was somebody who really stood out in that game um, because of his performance. Yeah, we've been all of us very eager to see him uh, in come into the team and. Uh, be given more of a run of games because I mean that thing is the only way in which we're going to see him really um, you know, get to his his peak performance. There are plenty of stats after the game uh, about how he performed uh, you know, the most tackles in a derby, which is always going to help him win over the fans. Um, uh, the, the number of forward passes, uh, comparisons with, with Henderson, made fifty four passes to one of our attackers in over nearly eight hundred minutes this season. Uh, Fabinho has already made 58 in uh, about 400 minutes. So you can see that he's not just 
a destroyer. You're being quite creative there. Also covered the most distance as well. Um, so you're, you're making tackles. You're passing it to the uh, the front three, which is always good, and and, and covering the most distance in a, in a highly competitive derby game. You know, when we saw him come in against Arsenal a few weeks back, and he looked he looked a little bit shocked by the pace of things at first. Um, that's to be expected, I guess. I mean, what did you make of his performance? Um, and, and do you think now it just really is a question of him just getting more and more games to build up fitness? Yeah, and, and I think, as you mentioned, the Arsenal game, and I think there were a lot of other contributing factors. You know, I don't think anyone in, in that whole midfield played well that day. But I do think there are going to be games when uh, Fabinho will get caught out with the pace of the Premier League. Um, especially against an Arsenal side who, regardless of, you know, whether Wenger has gone or not, the fact that Arsenal have always been really good passers of the ball, they play triangles, you know, around you and they can do that in their sleep. So Emery has, you know, he's got those type of players that have grown up in that system, in that Wenger system. So those players are never really going to forget that. It's sort of just now trying to fine tune it. So, that game was always going to be a really, really tough ask for him. And it's why the Premier League is the Premier League, because you get, you know, the pace that the Premier League is played at at some times is just ridiculously frightening, and it's very hard to keep up with. Um, we've seen, obviously, in Champions League games where Premier League teams just, you know, try and blitz teams, and, and it, it worked for us certainly last season until, obviously, the final. So... You can see games against Arsenal, you know, also the Bournemouths who like to play with the ball on the ground. It will be interesting to see if Fabinho does start, you know, whether he can keep up with that type of game as well, because it's a similar type of passing game, um, moving the ball quickly in and around um, that midfield area. I think in terms of how he's gone on this season, I've said it before, but I never thought he was going to feature at the beginning of the season. I, I had personally said that we were only going to start to see him second half of the season and then maybe next year is when he really is now a settled player in that midfield guaranteed starter. Um, it was just because the systems that he has played played in growing up are completely different to the type of systems that Klopp likes to play in. So there's a lot of things that he has to unlearn and Klopp prefers his players to know his system inside and out before he throws them out there. So I just thought, you know, it was going to take some time before he was able to play. But the minutes that he has played, I think he's he's shown glimpses of what the type of player that he could be. And I think the problem with, um, and it's probably, you know, like the Makaleles uh, that started this, is any player that's seen as, you know, a player that can tackle is automatically a, a defensive midfielder or a destroyer or or that type of you know play. You get shoehorned into that type of role. Um, we've seen it with N'Golo Kante. There's still to this day pundits that call him a you know CDM, and he's clearly more than that. Uh, I think for for Fabinho, it's a similar situation in terms of it's the easiest thing to say that he is a defensive midfielder or, you know, the, the destroyer or the, he would play the six, maybe if you, if you're talking four, three, three formations, but if you actually watch his game, he's got a lot more to him than just being the defensive midfielder. Um, you mentioned those stats about the forward passes and 
if the biggest thing I can give evidence of him being more than just a destroyer is in that game against Everton when we did move to sort of a hybrid 4-3-3. It was actually Ginny that moved to the sixth role, not Fabinho. Fabinho was, you know, one of the uh, the, the two eights in the system because he, he is a player that can go forward, he can drive forward. And also, if you have him higher up the pitch and he's winning those tackles, as, as you mentioned, he you know, most tackles in in the game, if he's winning those six tackles higher up the pitch, that gives us a better chance of, you know, those um, counter counter attacks high up the pitch where the teams have pushed their fullbacks forward or pushed, you know, their midfield forward. And Fabinho is able to then, um, we saw specifically, I think it was the Mane chance where Fabinho got the tackle in very high up the pitch. It was two passes and were in behind the other team getting a shot on target. So he does offer a lot more than that. And interestingly enough, um, and this was something that I... Um, I saw in the game and I suppose that's why it's always interesting to have the eye test and then also have the stats to sort of as a hybrid mixed together is in that game everyone was raving about how well um, Gomez played for Everton and I thought he played very very well I thought he was very comfortable on the ball he was spraying the ball really really nicely for them but if you you know if you look at I think to Simon Brandish who tweeted that um, Fabinho's expected goals build-up was 0.79, whereas Andre Gomez um, was only 0.05. And then Fabinho had 72 touches, um, and he won the ball 14 times, and his passing was at 86%, whereas Andre Gomez's passing was only at 81%. Yeah, but we all, we all know why this is, though, Tadiwa. We all, we all know why, <laughs> with, with, with the greatest of respect to to Fabinho, and I think he was uh, the outstanding midfielder yesterday. Um, Andre Gomez is is gorgeous. I mean, th- this is a man. <laughs> this is a man who has the. I mean, it, it, if he could have matched that sort of incredible footballing ability at Barcelona as well, he would be up there with Xabi Alonso in terms of poster boys of of, of of Spanish football. I mean, I mean, you you know the pundits in British media. They are you know, they're not going to let that slip by them, are they? <laughs> no, no, not at all. But, but I suppose that that's the interesting thing where I suppose where AI gives the advantage, and you're blending the stats with what you're seeing on the pitch, and it's it's always good to check yourself because I I I thought um, Andre Gomez had a fantastic game yesterday, but um, Fabinho I thought he had yeah I thought he had a good game, but not the most amazing game. But then if I look at how I was rating them both. Um, I then now have to question whether I was watching the game properly. No, yeah, of course, I I, I completely agree, and uh, um, it's always good to have that objectivity thrown in there as well. But um, I mean, and, and we can't complain. I mean, we, we we've had some good-looking footballers over the years as well, um, and of course, Emre's no longer in that midfield. So I mean, and and let's face it, even his good looks didn't seem to get him much, um, much defense from Liverpool fans at times. He still got mugged off for it to be honest yeah. uh half the <laughs> time true. i'm sure he's really having a terrible time uh on his way to winning a Serie A title playing <laughs> alongside cristiano ronaldo um so to move on from <laughs> from that and uh, i'm sure the petty responses i might get for that uh i just want to talk about um you know we're coming into the festive period here loads of games eight games in total in december we've got seven left to go and a crucial champions league game there against napoli sandwiched in uh, amongst them uh, we're predicting we're going to see plenty of rotation 
uh, this festive period, like we saw last time, because I think it was Klopp made the most changes of any manager in that period. So you'd imagine he's going to do the same uh, again. Uh, we're better stopped this time to do it with the with the deeper squad that we have. Um, and, and one player I'm looking forward to seeing in that period, as well as Fabinho, of course, is is Naby Keita, who came on um, and seems to be you know, finding his feet again after a couple injury breaks um, after a, a, an impressive start to to life in a red shirt. I mean, you know, just first thing, are, are you expecting to see plenty of rotation this this festive period? And then um, Keita, I mean, he, he's the next one that, that, that we've got to integrate, surely. Yeah, and I think it's something that Klopp has really paid attention to in the um, build-up to the season. If you look first and foremost at the style of play that, that he has adopted this season you know it's not as halter skelter full blast heavy metal football and then also if you look at um the numbers in terms of the squad and the the size of the squad he could have easily loaned out uh divok origi or something like that but he seemed to keep him around he seemed to he's um seemed to keep um a dom solanke around as well just to make sure he has enough bodies i think and i think over this festive period, it is a good time to rotate the squads. I think everyone's going to be rotating, whether you have Champions League or you don't, because it's such a grueling time of the season. And I would expect a person like um, Naby Keita to really shine in in a in a period where teams are going to be rotating purely because people aren't, you know, maybe people coming into the teams aren't going to be as fresh or. They're not going to be as used to the system or the link-up and the chemistry of those players isn't going to be as good. And then if you now have a player like Naby Keita who loves to run at defenders with the ball at his feet, look for that killer pass or dribble in and around them, I think that's the type of game he's going to really, really relish in where you know people aren't necessarily at their 100% best and not necessarily playing their best squad so hopefully he does feature a lot hopefully the injuries are in the past now um, with regards to this season especially and then just looking to see him kick on we do need that creative spark from midfield and he seems to on paper he seems to be the one that's going to be offering that yeah no I think of course in terms of a, a dynamic midfielder who can dribble Help us create things. I think he's he's certainly going to be very important in this uh, in this period, and also for the season to come as well. So, um, to move on to the game this weekend, then I mean, uh, sort of a, a little bit guilty here that I'm sort of glossing over Burnley just because I'm not actually able to do that preview, unfortunately. But um, uh, given how their defence is performing uh, at the moment, hopefully it's not going to be um, too uh, too much of a complex game as it was sort of in. Uh, in past seasons, of course, but um, to move on to, the, to this weekend's game and uh, talking about Bournemouth, we heard Mike there talking in the, the first part of the pod about you know, Bournemouth being a little bit more savvy this season, not being perhaps as open, as attack-minded as they have been in the past because um, it, it can be their undoing at times. Um, just how do you expect uh, the... The team to line up against um against Liverpool this weekend, Mike. I mean, you you mentioned you expect you expect it to be four four two. Um, do you think there'll be any specific lineup changes with with us in mind in terms of what we pose as a threat? Um, I don't really expect anything dramatic to happen. Um, he had his four defenders that I would expect to play 
on Saturday on the pitch on uh, Saturday just gone against Manchester City. But as I mentioned before, he brought Tyrone Mings into play as the third centre-back. I'd expect Mings to, if he could go to the 4-4-2, Mings to drop back to the bench and him to play the normal defence with Daniels at left-back, uh, Steve Cook and Nathan Ake in central defence and, and Simon Francis at right-back. And um, we've had... Uh, a little bit of disruption to the midfield. Dan Gosling, who probably would have played on Saturday against Manchester City, was injured in the lead-up to the game and failed a fitness test. Well, he pulled out in the warm-up, so I think it's fair to say he wasn't 100% prior to the game um, because Lerma was suspended. Lerma will come back in, I think, if he's if, if, if it all being well. Um, and he'll be partnered probably by, by Lewis Cook, who... As I mentioned earlier, he played for England last season, but hasn't really shown that form again this season. Um, I think he might have played Gosling in Cook's place, Lewis Cook's place, if if Gosling was fit, but it doesn't look like he is. Um, but apart from that, no, I'd expect most everything else to be as he has lined up this season with Brooks and Ryan Fraser on Wilson and King up front. I mean, obviously, there's always injuries and things going on we don't know about, but I, I'd expect that to be the lineup if we go with 4 4 2. So, Mike, I mean, in terms of what you've seen of us this season uh, and and the threats we pose, obviously, there's the, there's the obvious names um, that I, I guess you, you, you'd be weary of prior to the game, but um, where do you see sort of the, the key battle being? Is it going to be in midfield or do you think it's going to be out wide with the fullbacks trying to deal with the likes of Mane and Salah? Yeah, certainly that would be my biggest worry. Um, our defence, which I mentioned earlier, uh, we lack pace. Uh, Simon Francis is definitely not the quickest, never has been, and isn't speeding up as he sort of enters his mid-30s. Uh, Charlie Daniels is a good defender, but he's been exposed for pace before, and you've got some quick, skillful players who are real weapons uh, we struggled against last season. I think Coutinho was still playing for you last season when you when you beat us at Dean Court. Um, but that would be my biggest worry again, is handling your, your front three. And um, our central defenders, Nathan Ake and Steve Cook, are, are really good players. But they, I don't think, uh, sort of nine times out of ten, they'd struggle <laughs> against your front three as well. So, yeah, hopefully that won't happen. They'll put in a surprise performance and... Um, and we'll get something out of the game. But if I was if I was Eddie Howe going into this game, and of course he knows a lot more about football than I do, but that would be my my, my biggest concern, definitely. And in terms of how you're going to approach it, I mean, do, do you think it is going to be more of that counter-attacking approach in terms of, in terms of tr- trying to sink, um, trying to soak stuff up and, and then hit us on the counter? Or is it going to be um, a high-intensity affair early on, do you think? No, the pressing game is kind of diminished this season for us um, I would expect the counter-attacking uh, because it's been effective it means from Eddie's point of view that he doesn't have to sacrifice his beliefs in playing attacking football it's not you know just kind of defend 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 and then boot it long um, you know still, it's still an attacking style of football but it's just a, a, a tweak on going for it quite as much as we have done in the past so I, I'd expect to see that I'd expect you to have large amount of possession and us to be doing the majority of, of the defending but to look like I say to to break out we have been successful scoring goals like that this season so so fingers crossed that will continue to be the case at the weekend and Tadua I mean from a Liverpool perspective um, we mentioned we're already sort of expecting to see quite a few changes um, 
this month in terms of us rotating, keeping the squad fresh, keeping the key players fresh. Um, how, how do you see us lining up? Do you, do you, do you expect to see um, you know, Cato introduced for this game? Is it a game for Fabinho? Obviously, with the context of the fact that we've got a midweek game as well. Um, and, and could this potentially be a game that we see um, you know, man the moment, Origi given a chance up top? Well, Origi's had good games against Bournemouth in the past, so I, I wouldn't rule him out, and especially as he's now going to be a, a, a cult hero, especially in the with regards to the Everton game. Um, I wouldn't rule him out, and I think he's in for the run um, of getting a, a game here. But I do think a lot is going to depend on how Klopp sees uh, the, the midweek game and how many minutes are required maybe of some of the, in inverted commas, bigger players for Liverpool. Um, but I think against Bournemouth, first and foremost, Klopp is going to have to have some players in there that, one, are really good um, at passing the ball around and, two, have the energy to run up and down because Bournemouth, I think, are going to really have a lot of energy going up and down the pitch and you you can't, you know, you you can't go into that game expecting it to be an easy game out. So I I would expect um the likes of Henderson featuring in, in a game against against Bournemouth. I do think, you know, him constantly ticking over, you know, the one thing he is good at is recycling possession. You know, maybe he doesn't necessarily do it in the way that people like him to do it, but I can see him being more useful of his lateral um, cover work for our fullbacks in a game against Bournemouth than necessarily in a game against Burnley. Whether Klopp sees it the same way, that'll be interesting. But I think against Burnley, you're not really going to be expecting them to be countering at us at, at a really fast pace where you need your your six to or your defensive midfielder to be um, covering those wide peri- wide areas where the fullbacks would have left the space going forward. Whereas against Bournemouth, I think they're going to be really fast on the counter-attack. And if you take into account, as Mike has been alluding to, that they are going to play the 4-4-2. And I do agree with him in, in that they will play a 4-4-2. It's the same formation they played against Arsenal just um, just the other week at home. And I think they'll go the same route of playing at home, two strikers up front. You're going to need someone to cover the space of you know, whether it's Alexander Arnold and Robertson or whoever the fullbacks are, someone needs to be covering for the fact that they're going to be bombing forward. So I can see Henderson being crucial for that. Then in terms of the other midfielders, I think it will just be a toss up of who hasn't played and who needs minutes. Um in terms of the front three, I do expect Klopp to rest at least one of the front three this coming uh, midweek game against Burnley. I'd personally like to see you know, Firmino get a break and then either give Sturridge or if Origi is the one that gets the nod, one of them to start up front. Personally, I'd want Sturridge to start up front and then leave Firmino for those high-paced games, um, that being the Bournemouth game over the weekend. I think he would suit that game a lot better. Um, yeah, so I think there is going to be a lot of rotation. It's just a, a choice of club who he wants to use in which game and then we take it from there. Yeah, you do wonder what Firmino needs in terms of a a reset or a refresher for him. Uh, 
could be just selecting his games quite carefully. I mean, I mean one area of, of of rotation that we didn't mention just before we get onto match predictions, uh, guys. I mean, um, Tadawa, it's 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 the it's the 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 defense, you know, so we, we, we've seen Lovren come in for a few games. Matic's seem, seemingly you know, barely been used at all. Seems to have fallen out of favor. Um, uh, you know, as I mentioned on, on many pods this season, Nathaniel Klein has retired from professional football. Uh, <laughs> so he's, he's, he's not an option for us, unfortunately. Um, and Moreno, I mean, I'm sure we'll see him come in this, this December to much fume, but yeah, he, he's there, of course, for, for, Rob, for Robertson when he needs a break, but, um, would you expect to see any changes at the back um, this week for, um, sorry, this weekend rather? And uh, is it something you want to see, or is it, or is it just something that, you know, despite how how strong this partnership appears between Gomez uh, and Van Dijk in front of Allison, is it just inevitable that we're going to have to give these guys a rest at some stage, or or do we just keep those two in, maybe change the fullbacks if we can? I think the scariest moment for me will be the game when Klopp decides to rest Van Dijk because I don't think he's done so this season, especially in the Premier League. I think he's played every single Premier League game and probably every single Champions League game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he seems to be the glue that holds that back four together. And then obviously that with Allison just behind that, it, it really helps. But he... At some point in time, Van Dijk is going to need a break, especially during this festive period. So it's just a matter of when he decides to give him a break. I don't think you want to give him a break against Bournemouth, especially if they've got those two guys that seem to be firing up front and you have a Frazier running from deep. Uh, you would want Van Dijk marshalling the defence there. Um, but yeah, so I'll, uh, as long as Van Dijk can get as many minutes as possible then I'm more comfortable because he seems to just drag people with him through games at times, even if they're not having a good day, he tends to cover for them. But um, if he doesn't play, that's when the, the concerns start to come for me. And I think then we're expecting a bigger game from Allison. Yeah, no, certainly. I think that's that's the case. So anyway, guys, thanks I mean, so much for all the insight you provided on the pod. I mean, just one more thing to do before we before we wrap things up, is is the match prediction. So I'll come to you first, Mike. What are you expecting uh, this weekend? Um, well, unfortunately, I think you'll win. Um, you don't look like a team anymore that has, uh, in the past, slipped up in games like this. I mean, you did against us once famously, but against other teams, you kind of look like a team that doesn't make those mistakes anymore. And you're certainly in touch with City at the top. Um, We're so, one day Jan away. Don't don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he'll play on Saturday then, and you'll give Van Dijk a rest. Um, uh, so yeah, I think you'll win. Um, hopefully it'll be close. So we've lost most of our recent games at home, the two-one. So I think I'll go for two-one again to you. Unfortunately. Okay. Well, I, 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 I'm going to put in a uh, an early hope for you now that you can uh, beat Southampton later in the season because uh, I'm, I, I I feel for you that a, a Mark Hughes Southampton side were able to. It does hurt me. So I, I'm, I, I really appreciate that prediction there. Um, I'm sure you're going to endear yourself to the fans, but um, Tadiwa, I mean, what, what are you expecting as well? Yeah, I, I think um, it's going to be tough. I, I do see Bournemouth scoring, and I think 2-1 would be the likeliest scoreline in terms of um, the game. But I do think if 
if Liverpool do get ahead um, with sort of like 20 or, or 30 minutes to go and Bournemouth do have to chase the game, then I do worry for Bournemouth in terms of Liverpool being able to counter and maybe sneak uh, in inverted commas undeserved third goal on the counter-attack. It's one of those games where I think it will be a tight game. Liverpool will be 2-1 up going into the last 20 minutes. And I just think just purely because Bournemouth are chasing the game and not necessarily because they deserve to be 3-1 down, but I do see a, a sneaky counter-attack um, goal happening just because of the numbers that Bournemouth are going to be pushing forward. But that's just you know speculation. In terms of what I'm expecting... You know, from the game, if that doesn't happen, obviously a, a two-one scoreline, and then I, I think it's the type of games where it can be a banana skin and it can be a very tricky game. But as has been said, if we are trying to go for the title, that you have to win. So there's a lot of pressure on the boys to to pull off a result here. Yeah, I'm going to go for a stats padding three-one as well. I think in terms of what you've just said there, I think it, I think it could be actually quite tight this one. Um, but then if Bournemouth have to come out late on, uh, I think it just it, it, it does play into our hands a little bit. But yeah, I think it's it's just certainly been an entertaining game. Most of the games against Bournemouth certainly are. Um, so yeah, very much looking forward to it. But anyway, um, Mike, thanks so much for all the insight you provided on Bournemouth. Really, really appreciate uh, really appreciate that. And Tadiwara, of course, as well, your your usual insight on North things Liverpool. Uh, so uh, just before we actually. Uh, um, wrap things up. I just want to ask if uh, Tadiwa, did you have anything that you wanted to plug on your side? Uh, just the fantasy podcast. I think we're going to be recording. We usually record on Tuesdays, so that just to look out for that one. I'm not sure if we're going to have one this week, but definitely next week we will be back with the fantasy podcast. Sure. And anything on your side, Mike? I know the the days of the all departments podcast are are in the past now, but anything that you want to shine a light on? Well, there's my book, my Harry Redknapp book. Um, of course. It's been out since May. It's called Dean Court Days, and it's all about Harry's uh, formative years when he was cutting his teeth as a manager at Bournemouth. Uh, so I haven't seen them reading it around the fireside in the jungle, but he's certainly in the public eye at the moment. So if anyone's interested in in seeing how he uh, started out on the road to being a celebrity, uh, it's all it's all documented in in that book. So yeah, it's called Dean Court Days, and you can find it on Amazon. Now, of course, a, a greater insight into the mind of of Harry Redknapp, as you as you point out, sits in the jungle. Of course, so I think yeah, yeah, definitely want to check out. But anyway, guys, thanks so much again for coming on, and uh, to all the all the listeners, of course, thank you so much for for tuning in. Um, we'll be back again next week to uh, cover another game as it's. Sort of, packed festive period but um i'd also just encourage you to, ch- to check out uh, anfield index uh, pro uh, loads and loads of great content on there um from the guys doing it under pressure and all the analysis that they bring to things to uh so kenny dalglish jan mulby plenty of great things to check out there so uh certainly encourage you to su- subscribe over this festive period there's gonna be plenty of days where you're you're sitting around uh needing something to fill um, after you've filled your bellies. So anyway, yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll be back again uh, next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.